I want to say, first of all, thank you to Brother Ronnie for filling in for Nathan. And uh, it's uh, almost not fair to have a fill-in who's, who's as good as you are. And I'm sorry, Matt, this is what you got. Um, but anyway, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. If you do not have your Bible with you, uh, you can turn to page 1388 in the Pew Bible. And if you are in need of a copy of the Word of God, we invite you to take that one with you today. Let that be just a small gift to you from us here at First Baptist. Everybody ought to have at least one copy of the Word of God. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. And if you would, will you rise with me in honor of the reading of the words of our God this morning? The Word of God says this, But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray today that you would allow us to listen to your word. Forget about who's saying it and the stumbling, stammering that I might present today, but the Word of God, let it speak to us today in a powerful way. May it cause us to fall to our knees, as Brother Larry's already said, in repentance and confession. Put our trust in you anew today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the sermon today is Repent, Knowing Yourself. Knowing yourself is kind of the outworking of that. Uh, the reason for that is such a kind of a strange title. I thought it was strange, but it's my title, and so I can do that if I want. But it's actually part one of two sermons. And when Matt came to me and said, would you like to preach twice in a row uh, in July? And I said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. I've got this little two-part series, if you will, that I really don't ever have a chance to do. And, and the two-part series is preaching the sermon that Jesus preached in Mark chapter 1. He says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And I'm taking those two words, repent and believe. And this week we'll talk about repentance. Next week we'll talk about belief. It's hard to talk with one, talk with one about the other, but uh, so don't worry, we will cover a little bit of both. But what I've realized through my years of study and looking at the Scripture and other things is these are kind of two sides of the same coin. When you, when you hear this message, it encapsulates what Jesus is saying is our responsibility to the gospel. When we hear the gospel, this is what we must do. This is how we are called to interact with God. We repent and believe. And, and really, what I've really noticed is that repentance is what happens when you know yourself. Repentance is a natural outflow, outworking of what happens when you get to know who you really are 
And when you see yourself as God sees you, and you see the sin and the darkness, and you see the, the filth and the anger and the selfishness, when you see yourself for who you really are, when you know yourself, you're drawn, thrust even, to, into repentance. Now on the other side of that, belief is what happens when you get to know God. So knowing yourself, you're kind of drawn into repentance. Knowing God, you cannot help but believe and trust in Him. Now, I don't mean knowing that God exists or a mental assent to the, to the idea of God or even believing that the Bible is true on some level. What I mean to say is the more you get to know God personally, the more you understand uh, His power and believe it, that's going to help you every day of your life. You're going to get into situations and you're going to know that God can get you out because you believe in Him. You're not going to fret. You're not going to worry. You're not going to be anxious. The more you know God and His kindness and His mercy and His compassion, the more you're going to trust the things that matter most to you, to Him, your family, your livelihood, your reputation, your eternal security. So there's two halves of the same coin. And today... We're going to look at repentance, knowing yourself. Now, I won't refer to that directly all the time throughout the sermon, but I want it to kind of hover over what we're looking at today. The idea that what we're really trying to do here is find a way to know ourselves better. And what we have here in James is probably not a typical passage you would expect to think of when we talk about repentance. Uh, when you think about repentance, if I were going to study repentance just kind of off the cuff, I probably would turn to a passage that at least had the word repent in it. So that might have thrown you off a little bit. Uh, the reason I came to this passage was just purely studying through the book of James years ago. And I, I come through here and I just kind of camp out on these verses and realize this is the essence of what it means to repent. And it's kind of like a blueprint. So we today are going to follow that blueprint for repentance. We're going to follow that blueprint. And don't panic. It's going to be five steps, okay? Y'all take a breath. Five 30-minute steps. Don't, don't, fret, don't worry. And we'll be out of here by three or so. You'll be good. Uh, <laughs> so the problem, I think, with repentance most of the time is it's... Our view of repentance is too simplistic. Our view of repentance is simply this. You ought to repent. I mean, that's kind of the way it's taught to me. Okay. Uh, Lord, I repent. Are we good? Is that it? Yeah, you're good. Like, and that's it. That's all we hear. You ought to repent. And so we, we just try to do that. Well, what does repentance look like? Uh, we have a blueprint here for us to walk through. We have something that kind of helps us. One of the things that brought this to the forefront of my mind was raising children and trying to teach them what it means to repent. You know, because I can get a kid to just say, you know, sorry. But what does it mean to truly repent? In church, I want to ask you the same thing. What does it mean to repent? Because I would bet that when I say the word repent, most of us think about the word confession. Well, not the word the act of confession. 
When I say repent, most of us think about just kind of putting on a sad face and being like, Lord, I'm just a terrible guy. I'm so, I've done all these hateful things, and I sure am glad you saved me. Amen. But that's not repentance. True biblical confession does lead to repentance. It is part of repentance. Because what is confession but seeing yourself the way God sees you and admitting to that? All right, that's what confession is. It, is. it is seeing that sin in your life and saying, yes, Lord, it's a sin, but not just, okay, I, I messed up, but seeing it the way God sees it. And let me tell you, every sin in your life, every sin in your life was paid for on the cross. Now, that's a great thing, but also think about that. Uh, that word you said when the guy cut you off in traffic, you yelled in anger. Jesus had to pay for that sin. It is not free. Every sin is costly. And when we begin to see our sins in that light, the way God sees them, we're on our way to repentance. True biblical repentance involves more than just, more than just lip service. It involves your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and your entire being. Your entire being. Jesus preached that general message, repent and believe, because he wanted us to do two things, to see ourselves and to see God. He wanted us to see ourselves and he wanted us to see God. Today, we're simply going to walk through this passage verse by verse, looking at this blueprint for repentance. Let's look first at verse 6. Verse 6, repentance is humility. Let's look here. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, my instinct was kind of here to say, well, this is the first step of repentance. But I actually don't think it's a step. I, I think it's just an explanation, right? It's kind of the disclaimer. By the way, God opposes the proud. That's probably almost everyone in this room at some point in our life. But He gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. There are, there are texts like that in Scripture that just terrify me. So I want to ask you just to play along with me. Do you believe that God is who He says He is? I hope we do, yeah. Do you believe that the Bible is His inspired, authoritative Word? I hope that you do. If you do believe that, then this text ought to terrify you. God opposes the proud. He's not just neutral. He doesn't just pull back His blessing. He stands in opposition to you. The God who spoke the universe into being. The God who could snuff out your life without any effort at all. The God who could change every plan you've ever made and take everything away from you that you've ever loved. And still be righteous, by the way. And still be holy and just. He could do that. He stands in opposition to the proud. 
And in this text, the proud are those who refuse to repent. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but, but I want you to understand that humility and repentance are inextricably locked together. You do not ever have one without the other in the Scriptures. You cannot stand before God in pride and yet genuinely repent of your sin. Vice versa. You cannot stand before God in genuine repentance, or, or with humility rather, and not repent of your sin. Seeing God for who He is and who you are for what you really are. The two are always together. But the good news is that as we practice repentance, it breeds overwhelming, relentless, raging humility. Listen, there is nothing like looking at your sin to humble you, really humiliate you. But God gives grace to the humble. So repentance is humility. Secondly, repentance is momentum. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves, yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen, this is true about all of life. Repentance is momentum. Well, that, what that is telling you, what that is telling us, is that you're always moving in one direction or the other. You're always being drawn to God. You're submitting yourself to God and resisting the devil. Or you're not resisting the devil and you're being drawn to Him. Now, when James says the devil, he doesn't just mean the being known as Lucifer. He's talking about that in a general sense, the satanic schemes, the world, even your own heart, the temptations that come from within and without. That's representative here of all of those sorts of things, all of the evil and the sin in the world. You look like a hip crowd. Let me ask you. Anybody ever ridden on an escalator? A few of you. I'm surprised. Only like four of you. Wow. Okay, so my kids go to the Imagination Place downtown all the time. And uh, so that used to be something else I hear. Anybody remember when there was a belk in there? I don't remember that, a few people. So yeah, but there was always an escalator as far as I know. There was an escalator in there. And that's one of the favorite things my kids love to do. You guessed it, they get on one side and they ride up. And they get on the other side and they ride down. And then they go around and do it all over again. And one of the things I had to put a stop to is the, their favorite game of getting and riding up and then going down the escalator and then turning around. Instead of going up, the e up, they try to run up the down escalator. Right? You ever done that? You ever try to run up or walk up the down escalator? Is it an easy thing to do? Is it a hard thing? It takes effort. So, a silly question. What happens if you get on the down escalator and you just don't do anything? You, you go down. <laughs> well, you, you go down, right? You get on the down escalator and you just stand there and you go down. You know, our sin nature is like a down escalator for our lives. The fact that every one of us was born with an innate bent towards sin... And that temptation rages in our hearts every day. It is relentless, it is unforgiving, and it never sleeps. This temptation and, and the sin nature, 
It's like a down escalator. We're all riding on that down escalator due to the sin nature. And if you just stand still and do nothing, you are going to descend. You're going to descend into sin, into fear, into pride, disappointment, deception, doubt of God and His Word, influence of Satan in this world. Because it takes effort. Repentance is like that. You do not tread water. You don't hold still in repentance. You can't just simply stop doing this sin and stay right here. It is not enough. We're either moving towards God or we're moving away from God. And repentance is key to that. It's not just something good to do. It is absolutely necessary for our spiritual survival. Without it, we are constantly, gradually descending towards Satan and his schemes. Repentance is momentum. Jesus knew that repentance was necessary. Matthew 18, he paints a picture for us. He, he, we see the picture of an unrepentant man. And Jesus tells him, hey, this guy, you've talked to him. He's not repentant. The church has gone to him. He's not repentant. If he's unwilling to repent in the face of God and the church and his friends, you need to treat that guy like an unbeliever. Paul picks up on the same theme in 1 Corinthians 5. There's a man caught in a twisted perversion, sexual immorality. And he's unwilling to change, unwilling to repent. And Paul says the same thing. Don't even associate with that guy. You see, to refuse to repent, listen, to refuse to repent is to reject the gospel. It's to reject the gospel. And the good news. And it puts us in danger of hellfire. The repentance is momentum. It's also action. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, repentance must generate a change in our hands, in our physical action and in our heart, our innermost motivations. This is what it means to repent. It's so simple, but it's really difficult, isn't it? How about this? Pro the main thing we think of in repentance, stop sinning, right? That's kind of half the battle, isn't it? I know it sounds obvious, but we got to say the obvious sometimes. Part of, part of repentance is stop the sinning. And you're looking at me going, well, duh, that's kind of hard to do. We don't have a problem. We know that. Well, I have to say it, but, but let, me, let me tell you this. It is part of the process. And believe it or not, many of us have given up on that idea of stopping sinning. And we have instead, uh, we've replaced it with this, this thought of kind of penance and just confession. Kind of like, I can just do what I want and God will forgive me anyway. But that's not how repentance works. Repentance, we have to stop the sin. Now, let me say, sometimes it's harder than others, truly. Some have said repentance is like this. It's like a man walking in one direction, 
towards the devil in this case, towards sin in the world. And he realizes, he comes under conviction, and he realizes his sin, and he stops, and he turns around, and he walks the other way. Right? We turn from Satan, we turn from sin, we turn to God. That's pretty simple to do when you're walking, though, right? I mean, I could just stop and turn around all I want. Now, suppose I'm riding a Harley-Davidson 80 miles an hour towards sin. It's a little different, right? You can't just slam on the brakes and turn around. It takes a while to slow down. It takes a little more energy. Now, suppose it's not a Harley-Davidson. Suppose your sin is the Titanic of sins. And you've just set sail from Miami, and you're headed down to the Caribbean, and you're just cruising along, and all of a sudden you realize, I need to stop. I need to turn around and go the other way. Well, guess what? It takes a long time to turn around that Titanic. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of fuel. It takes a lot of perseverance. It takes a lot of hard work to make that turn and turn around and go the other way. And repentance can be kind of like that. There are sins for you that might be easy. You catch them. Somebody mentions it, probably your wife. uh, And you just see it you stop you turn around and go the other way and then there are others it takes more effort and probably every one of us in here has one of those titanic sins we've been fighting it maybe for years and it is hard to slow it down it is hard to turn and occasionally we'll take our foot off the gas so to speak but we've got to keep pressing on making that effort keeping our hands and our mouths and our bodies from committing those sins. But he doesn't just say cleanse your hands, but purify your hearts. You see, your attitude has to change as well. You need a little bit of heart surgery when it comes to repentance. You need a little bit of heart surgery. It isn't enough just to try your hardest. Now picture again the Titanic. Now suppose I've made that decision. I'm in this giant cruise liner of sin. And I've decided it's time, it's time to stop. And I turn the rudder and I begin the turn and all of a sudden I quit putting fuel to the engine. Now what happens? I'm adrift in the ocean. I've not made the turn. I'm just adrift. Your heart fuels your actions. Your heart fuels your actions. It supplies the want to with the power for you to change. Your heart is constantly stirring you up to actions. Jesus said it this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now that principle is applicable across the body. In other words, there is something causing your body to do what it does, and it is right in here. Your mouth does not speak by itself. It is fueled by your heart. So we can see that our actions are born in our hearts. If you want to control the hands, start with your heart. Yeah, I I couldn't help but think, sometimes we just don't know better. (laughs) Maybe we do, but we just, I feel like sometimes we just don't know any better. Our text here says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, part of that is, you know, changing our hearts. You know, I'm going to use kind of a silly illustration, but I, I don't want to get too close to home. Uh, <laughs> or I don't want to miss yours, your sin. Y'all ever do that? The preacher get, gives us a list of sins and you think, well, he missed mine. I must be okay today. 
That's not how it works, just so you know that. Uh, but, but suppose you're a bank robber, okay? And, uh, man, you're trying to repent, you're trying to change your ways, and you've quit robbing banks. You, you've been, you've been um, on, the, on the wagon for a while. You know, you've not robbed a bank in a while, but you can't help it. You just drive by a bank, and you just stop, and you sit, and you look at it, and you think, man, there's a lot of money in there. I'd sure love to rob that bank. And then you drive on downtown, and you see another bank, and you sit, and you watch the guards go in and out, and you think, this would be easy. I could be in and out of there, no problem. And then you keep driving around and you do this all day and you watch banks and you think about the money in there. Physically, maybe you're not robbing banks, but your heart is giving you bank robbing fuel. Okay? And you're supplying that. So part of how we change our hearts is to resist those temptations and to flee from those temptations. Flee from the devil and his schemes and our own evil hearts for that matter. Repentance is action. Fourthly, repentance is sorrow. Repentance is sorrow. Look at verse 9 with me. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Well, that took a sour turn, didn't it? Just let your joy be turned to gloom. I mean... Good grief. It's almost like we shouldn't be partying and having a good time when we've got unrepentant sin in our hearts. What is God trying to say? He's trying to cramp my style here. I just want to do what I want to do. Let Him take care of the sin. I said the sinner's prayer. Why am I even having to repent again? You know, in the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews talks about those who know God but have but are trampling upon the Son of God and His blood because of the way they act. We know about God, we know about His forgiveness, and yet we live as if He doesn't exist and as if He does not have authority over our lives. We're unrepentant. Repentance is sorrow. Now maybe you've read somewhere, or maybe somebody told you somewhere that we ought to be happy and want to have joy in our salvation. I think we read that today in in Psalm 51, verse 12, restore the joy of my salvation. But if you remember that psalm, the first 11 verses weren't so joyful. It was sorrow. The verse right before that, I believe, talks about being broken. Let me ask you today, it's a simple question. Sir, ma'am, mom, dad, young man, young woman. When was the last time? When was the last time you wept over your sin? I mean, that it just nailed you. That you mourned over the offense you caused to God, to others. Well, you transgressed God's covenant so easily, so boldly, it cut you to the core. When was the last time? Now, 
I'm not getting legalistic here and saying you have to cry 41 tears or something like that. Maybe you just don't cry at all or ever, okay? Whatever that emotion is when you feel extreme pain and loss and hurt and shame, do you feel that when you think about your sin? Or rather, do you think about your sin and in, or in exchange feel that? Do you feel the weight of your sin? Remember, we said confession was seeing your sins as God sees them. Admitting to the sins. It doesn't just mean, you know, like a plea bargain or something in the legal system. It means I really understand that I have hurt you. Like David said, I've offended you. When you get real with yourself about what it is you have been doing, what it is you are doing, you will be broken. You will be driven to your knees. You will mourn and weep. When the weight of your sin sets upon you, you will mourn over them. It says, be wretched. You know, that, 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 that word comes up again in Romans 7. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, he doesn't stay there, really, in just the next breath. He says, and thank God for Jesus Christ. But even the Apostle Paul did not skip this step. You see, here's something very important. Maybe we don't weep and mourn because we've gotten the idea that I can skip right over sorrow for my sin and just jump right into joy for forgiveness. Even Paul did not skip that step. I want you to hear this. You cannot skip over the weeping for your sin straight to forgiveness because without the experience of mourning over your sin, you will never understand grace. Without knowing the depths of your sin, you will not know the height of God's grace. And I would say if you don't understand anything about sorrow and repentance, you don't understand anything about grace. If you're truly humbled by your sin and repentance, then the Lord Himself will exalt you. The Lord Himself will exalt you. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Finally, fifthly, repentance is exaltation. Repentance is exaltation. Let me just say something real simply. Let God exalt you. Let God do the lifting up. When we humble ourselves and we, we are drawn down deep into sin and the muck and the mire and the repentance and the confession and, and we're mourning and weeping over our sin, thank God it doesn't end there because what comes in the morning? God's mercy, God's grace, God's love and His compassion, His kindness. He will exalt you. You know, the sad part is some people like to wallow in the self-pity. Some of us, we, we need to be reminded to repent and to, to, to feel the weight of our sins. But, but there's some of you out here, I need to remind you to get over yourself. 
Your sins aren't so bad that God can't forgive them. He has paid for the worst sin debt there ever was. He's paid for mine. He paid for the Apostle Paul's who said, I am the chief among the sinners. Who are you? He will. He can forgive your sin. Let him exalt you. Brother Larry mentioned earlier, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will exalt you. You know, one of the questions that comes up when I, I talk about repentance, I think about repentance is, I think, well, what's the difference between what I'm doing and what an unconverted person does? What, what's the difference in repentance for me and the person who's just coming to faith in Jesus Christ? I think the answer may surprise you. that There is no difference at all. We are doing the exact same thing. We are both standing in light of our own sin and in view of a holy God repenting and turning from who we are and throwing, casting our lot in with Jesus Christ. We are both throwing ourselves on the mercy of God, pleading for the forgiveness of God, pleading that the blood of Jesus would wash us clean and forgive us we're in the same place. You see, repentance always carries the weight of damnation and salvation. Always. Remember how Jesus said in Matthew 18, if this, if this guy's unrepentant, treat him as an unbeliever? I cannot think any other way. I cannot think any other thought except if you choose a sin Right? A sin I'm unwilling to repent of. If I choose, if you choose a sin over your Lord and Master Jesus Christ, I have to wonder which one is the real master. If we stand here with a sin and we guard it and we hold it and we, and we hold Jesus at bay and say, Lord, you can have other things, but you can't have this. I'm going to keep this one. I know it's wrong, I know it's sinful, but I really like this more than you. have to question who is the master here who are you serving remember the titanic of sin sometimes it takes a long time to overcome sin but every believer ought to be constantly in a state of repentance the last place you want to be is standing in opposition to God literally the last place any other place but there. Any other place than standing before God who's opposing you actively. <coughs> Repentance is humility, it's momentum, action, sorrow, exaltation. Today, if you want to live a life of repentance, all you have to do is know yourself. Be honest with yourself about who you are and about your sin. One time I heard someone say, I don't need to repent anymore because I don't, I don't really sin that much. It just floored me. I thought, that's like a coal miner standing in front of me covered in soot saying, I don't really need a bath. 
I'm not that dirty. Avail yourself of the cleansing power of Jesus' blood today. Repent of your sin. Repent of your selfishness, your laziness, your cold attitude towards a brother, gossip, arrogance, pride, jealousy, hatred. Repent of not knowing and loving your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Repent and believe. I want you to know, again, it doesn't end with repentance. We don't just repent and leave it there. We repent we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who lived a perfect life in your place so that you don't have to, the one who died for your sins and paid for them. As a matter of fact, in Colossians, Paul said that Jesus took that certificate of debt and he nailed it to the cross, canceling out your sin debt. But I tell you, Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There is no other way to come to God but in repentance. We come through repentance. We come in faith. But we must come in humility. Believe in Jesus today. Trust in His works to save you. And He will do so. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and after that we'll have an invitation. The altar will be open for prayer. If you want to come forward, I'll be down front here. If you want to pray, need prayer for repentance, if you want to come and talk a little more about what it means to put your faith in Jesus, or maybe you want to come and talk about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church, we'd love to speak with you in just a moment. Let me pray.